Kowato. Just call it Q. That's all you'll have time to say before it tears you apart. Ah! Q is coming. Hello, welcome back to the Monster Kaiju Podcast Talk All Monsters here on the Waffle Press. I am your host, Diego Crespo. Also my host, Gina Versa. Hey, how you doing? Good to be back. I'm great. I'm very happy to be back. I'm really happy we started the show, and we're not, we're not alone this time. We have another kaiju expert to talk monsters with us, Richard Newby. Hey, guys. Hey, it's good to have you on. We, we, we love talking to you, man, and you're a great writer from your audience's everywhere days to THR now. We haven't introduced you on Talk All Monsters, so why don't you go ahead and tell us about yourself and what you've been doing, what your writing's about, and a little bit about your history with kaiju movies. Yeah, so um, I'm a writer mostly of uh, nerd stuff, uh, science fiction, comic book stuff, fantasy. Um, So I'm writing for the Heat Vision section of The Hollywood Reporter uh, currently, so I've been covering a lot of... uh, that kind of stuff. So kaiju movies definitely fall into that uh, sphere. And um, in terms of my history with kaiju movies, they're actually like one of the genres that made me fall in love with movies in the first place. I think uh, Star Wars and Godzilla movies were, you know, one of the things that really shaped my love of genre films. Um, My mom uh, was a big Godzilla fan growing up. So she uh, recorded um, a lot of the movies that used to be on cable on um, TMC and AMC. Uh, AMC used to do the uh, 31 Days of... Yeah, yeah, they used to do that. And they used to have, um, during Halloween, they'd have like their 31 Days of Horror. And they'd show a lot of other kaiju movies there too. Yeah, yeah. So um, a lot of those, like Them and... uh, the Amazing uh, Colossal Man, and of course a bunch of the Godzilla movies. And uh, I remember when I was ten, I actually had a Godzilla-themed birthday party. So uh, kaiju movies have always, yeah, kaiju movies have always been like a you know major uh, <laughs> fanship for me. Oh, that's awesome, man. Uh, yeah, I think the Toho stuff is in particular like so universal in a way that. Even if people don't, like, go out of their way to watch, have seen kaiju movies, like, even when they were younger, there's something, like, universal across the board that everyone kind of recognizes, like, oh, yeah, Godzilla, giant monster movies. And uh, a member of the Toho family actually passed away uh, recently, and we're not really a news show, but it feels important to talk about, given that this is the universe we're discussing. Toho movie actress uh, Yuriko Hoshi passed away in between this and our last episode recording. Uh, she appeared in over 90 films starting in 1959. That's a hell of a legacy. And that includes uh, many Toho films. So we just wanted to take this time to recognize her and her history uh, for Toho cinema. And so we wish her family well. She's in uh, Mothra vs. Godzilla and uh, Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. She was in the first year, excuse me, first time Godzilla and Mothra appear, so together. Yeah, and last time I was talking about like how much I loved uh, Mothra and whatnot. So we'll be talking about other other Toho movies she's been in. 
Uh, we will not be talking about them this episode, though. Uh, Richard brought two very uh, different sort of kaiju movies, and uh, they're English-language kaiju movies. And the second one we'll be talking about is very British, I guess we'll say. Richard, why don't you go ahead and tell us about what movies you brought us to talk about today. All right, so uh, I chose, uh, the first film I chose Q, um, also known as Q, The Winged Serpent. Um, It's a 1982 movie, and then I also picked uh, Reign of Fire for the... uh, for the modern movie, and that was uh, made in 2002. Um, so I thought that. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say yeah, I thought that they had some some similarities in terms of having these winged monsters, and uh, I kind of wanted to pick something uh, a little different from the traditional uh, kaiju movies. Oh, of course, yeah, they were uh, very inspired choices. Uh, Richard, you were talking uh, before the show that you had seen Reign of Fire before, but had you seen Q before? I had not seen Q before. Okay. And Gene, I don't think you've seen either of these before, right? No, no, I hadn't. I knew about Reign of Fire. I remember when God, like when Christian Bale got cast as Batman, people kept bringing that up like in magazines I used to read. <laughs> and I was just like, oh. It's like, oh, this is why he's a good, you know, this will, this is a reason why he'll make a great Batman. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'll see that movie eventually, and I'm glad I saw it today. So. We'll go back to uh, me yesterday. Rain of Fire eventually, because we got a lot to say about that one. But uh, let's go back, let's take a time capsule to Q, Larry Cohen's 1982 sort of monster New York exploitation movie. Uh, I saw this movie for the first time last year, and... I fell totally in love with it. It's just this weird buddy cop kind of mismatch of like tonally. I think this movie's kind of like all <laughs> over the place, but in a way that's like yeah. really fun and instead of like obnoxious and kind of endearing. Yeah, yeah I mean, it seems like a uh, mystery science theater selection that they would choose. Uh, Richard, why did you choose Q? I'm I'm very curious. <laughs> Well, I'm a I'm a Larry Cohen fan. Um, I like a lot of his other his other movies. I think that, like you said, like with all the tones going on here, I think that's true for his other films as well um, that he writes. And I love the the fact that he has these these giant ideas, and you know he's putting them into these these B movies that like can't really contain all of those ideas, but they're incredibly interesting because he's you know trying to fit them in. Um, so like just, you know, some of the stuff that he talks about here, uh, about like the nature of God and how we perceive it, but then also, like you said, the, the buddy cop aspect with, uh, David Carradine and Shaft. And then there's like this, uh, like small town, small time crook, you know, who's, who's looking for fame aspect to it. And I mean, it's all of these things like merging together to kind of be like a, like this odd portrait of who we are as, you know, people or Americans in 1982. Yeah, it's absolutely. Uh, and the character of Quint, Mr. Mr. Quint, I believe. Quinn, excuse me. Um, Michael Moriarty. He's like my favorite part of this movie. Because he's sort of like, like uh, the biggest New York stereotype ever. Like if there were more scenes of him walking around the streets, he'd be like, hey, I'm walking here. I'm walking here. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. I think he's a character that 
I, I hang on the most to because, like, I get him the most outside of, like, a caricature. He just, he just wants, like, this fame and attention. And, like, he's like, hey, it's my, my shot in the spotlight, you know? And he references Rupert Murdoch, which, like, super caught me off guard. Right. And I was just like, oh, my God, this Rupert Murdoch guy's been alive for generations. He's like, the real monster in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> really. And uh, he's he's so electric on screen just watching this guy. He's got, like, this weird subplot about, like, mm-hmm. being, like, a petty thief and how it, like, escalates. Like, everything else around him is kind of just, like, thrown at the screen. Like, whatever. Like, I'm all into it anyways. But, like, that character story feels like it had, like, a natural escalation of events mm-hmm. as opposed right. to the rest of the movie. I, I, what, was, what was that scene where he's, like, uh, was it, I, he's, like, complaining to his wife, like, how life, uh, is it, like, he'll, he'll never, like, uh, he's not prepared for life or something? Like, it was really melodramatic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he's, he's total, like, like, self-righteous, self-entitled asshole and, like, very clearly an idiot. But I kind of like that about him. So, like, at the end of the movie, he's like, yeah, I learned a lesson here from this experience with the giant <laughs> Ketakwaddle. Like, all right, man, whatever you say. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's so, ca- so, everyone's so casual about a giant dragon. Yeah, they're, they're, they're casual about that and the fact that there's, like, these Aztec sacrifices going on. And uh, the cops are just, like, really <laughs> chill about the fact that they're, like... People being skinned alive <laughs> and like yeah, it, left in their left yeah, in their apartments. I mean, like you know, I guess it happened every other day of the week for that precinct. You know what <laughs> this felt like to me? Like if this movie came out today, it would be like a pilot episode of a TV series, like David Carradine's character hunting weird mythological beasts, like on HBO or something like that. Or you know what, Showtime. I feel like Showtime's got a little more of like a B movie genre edge to them. Yeah. I really, uh, I would say, uh, David Carradine, I really enjoyed in this, you know, he had that, like, it seemed like he, uh, really fit the B-moviness of it, like, he just kind of ran with it, and he, did anyone else feel the same? Oh, yeah, yeah totally. I thought so, too. Yeah. Yeah. He just got, like, this cool vibe to him, too, you know, like, uh, but then he also says, like, lines like, you know, if it's not a god, then I can kill it. Just a good old-fashioned monster. I'm gonna get my birth control. <laughs> It's just like, what the fucking just happened with the dialogue? I don't understand how you write something like that so casually and, like, efficiently. But, like, the fact that it's played off so casually makes me love it even more. Because you guys are totally right. Like, there's giant Aztec ancient creature flying through the city of New York. Like, like there's no big moment where the movie goes, oh, the audience gets to go, it's real, it's real. Like, it just is. <laughs> Every other monster movie has, like, this yeah. giant, oh, my gosh, moment. Like, them, the classic, like, ant monster movie where there's a slow burn uh-huh. reveal to, like, oh, my gosh, there's giant ants. And that never happens here. It's just like, oh, yeah, there's a giant bird killing people. Okay. Yeah. I guess we'll have to kill it. Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't um, any kind of, like, shock or awe about the creature. Even though, you know, you barely yeah. see it, I guess. Um, what do you guys think about the claymation? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it's definitely, uh, like, bottom-tier claymation. And yet, somehow, like, it, it's, it's not, it's not like, Ray Harryhausen level. Yeah. Um, but I also kind of appreciated it, just, like, how, like, patchwork it seemed, you know? It was just, like, mm-hmm. 
like kind of like what I was saying earlier about Cohen, just like these giant ideas that he just like didn't have the budget for. So I just like kind of love the fact that he had this idea for a giant monster movie and he's just like, you know, we're just gonna make it as cheap as possible and it's you know, the ideas that, you know, are tying this together rather than the fact that of how it looks. Right. Yeah, he was just very conservative in how he used that uh that monster too. Yeah. Like, really quick. Yeah, and I think uh, the way it's shot, too, is, like, it's one of those movies, like, like where they uh, they don't really care about the budget. There's just sincerity to these sort of B-movies where, like, it makes them really enjoyable. And uh, the way Cohen shoots the monster, it's not a... Uh, He's not trying to hide the budget, you know? He, like, like, you know yeah. what you came for. He's <laughs> on the audience. Like, y- y- here you go. Here's the monster. The first five minutes alone, like... <laughs> like dude gets his head ripped off and it's just like all right they, we just get right into it and it, it's, i love it and it's great no bullshit here are you guys familiar with the actual uh history of the ketaquatl no i'm not uh no yeah what's the uh what's the backstory okay so uh it's a mesoamerican um deity i guess but it, it it's fictional it's which never existed <laughs> um, okay uh, so it's kind of like one of the OG kaiju, I guess, just from an ancient Aztec culture. And it was like, uh, there's a lot of correlation to stuff like the sun god. Yeah, it's just, uh, I'm really fascinated by it. It also pops up in the animated Godzilla series that served as the sequel to oh, the 98 American right. oh, yeah. interpretation of it. <laughs> yeah. He, fought, and, uh, he fights a lot of random monsters in that show, like the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah. Thing. Oh, no, there's a twist to that one, though. I don't want to spoil, but that's just oh, great. Okay. That was a good show. Yeah, I have it. It's than... actually probably better than the, than the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm actually kind of bummed that this monster hasn't really, like, broken through the barriers of uh, American monster movies yet. Or really, like, any monster movies. This feels like it's just right here sitting like, America doesn't really have its own monsters. I guess, like, Cloverfield's kind of the closest thing we get to our own kaiju. Yeah, I, I know, maybe, like, King Kong. Oh, King Kong. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, like, there's, like, one, and then Japan has, like, all of them. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I just kind of like to see more, like, re- this remade with a budget. Not to make it, like, better or anything, because, like, the quality is, like, subjective on this, but, like... Uh, there was a, uh, <laughs> a 2007... Uh sequel to this uh, there was a tv movie called cry of the winged serpent oh god oh my god i haven't seen it but uh jim warnarski warnarski did it um <laughs> i've i've heard some things about his <laughs> filmmaking so i uh <laughs> i need to see that now that that's that's the next episode now so we we gotta we gotta crack it down and get you back on for that <laughs> yeah uh richard what was the first time you watched q um, I watched it probably a couple months ago. Yeah, so I just saw it this year. Okay, well, hopefully we can get, like, like this movie, like, on an upswing, you know? Like, it'd be nice for, like, a bunch of people to get online and be like, hey, like, have you seen Q, the winged serpent? Like, oh, what's that? And then you show them, like, this weird, slocky exploitation monster movie and just get, like, the ball rolling on this, you know? And then I want a, like, high-budget sequel for this. Yeah, it's... Or a high-budget remake, you know? Just something <laughs> that, like is unabashedly a monster movie that's just, like, commits to its B-movie nature. Because I think a lot of uh, 
There's a lot of like blockbusters in general like need the self-referential wink to them. Something like, hey, isn't this all like kind of crazy and uh kind of weakened with the audience? And I like it when sometimes movies don't always do that. They can keep themselves, they can take right. themselves seriously, maybe sometimes too seriously, but as long as there's like variety in my blockbusters, you know, I'll be happy. And I think you can get that with another version of Q. I was just going to say that, uh, you know, Larry Cohen is still making stuff too, and he's, you know, very uh, <laughs> prolific and public so i feel like it would be interesting to uh you know see what he had to say about this now or if he'd be interested (laughs) in you know doing a newer version of this yeah let's uh let's try to get into contact with him yeah larry if you're out there thank you (laughs) (laughs) next up on the list is our more recent kaiju film reign of fire separate chemicals. Combine an exhalation, nitro napalm. Good luck. Richard, when was the first time you watched this? Um, the first time I saw this was probably, it was the year that, I remember it was the year that Batman Begins came out because I was interested in Christian Bale. So that was, I think, 2005. So yeah, 2005 was the first time I'd seen this. Um, I remember I had really wanted to see it in uh, theaters when it came out, but it wasn't there for very long, so I never got a chance to have my parents take me. Oh man, it did pretty bad too, right? Like it did not make its money back. I think it made like $80 million worldwide Mm -hmm. against like a $60 million budget, which is not not good. I'm surprised that it, it did so poorly. I mean, in 2002, I could kind of get it. I mean, it doesn't look great. Uh, like, well, I mean, in 2002, it would have looked a little bit better. Maybe. Uh, this this is this is after Dragonheart, so. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like what else came out that because uh, I think it came out in the summer. Yeah, it came out in July, so it was like a huge summer release. So I'm trying to think of what came out. Like that Terminator, right? no, not no, no Terminator uh, didn't come out. Road to Perdition, and Men in Black Two. I think those were the, the, the yeah, Men in Black Two did pretty well. This is definitely better than Men in Black Two. <laughs> yeah, right. This was a blockbuster movie for me, like literally the blockbuster video store, because I also missed it in theaters, and I was like, I want to see that. And God bless my my sweetheart of a mother, who took the time to watch that. Uh, with me that weekend and i remember her not liking it and i remember loving it and eating up all my popcorn with it and it oh my god it's i think it takes itself a little too seriously at times but uh, i think the act the opening is actually a little too dour 
I was like, I re- when I rewatched it recently, because, uh, you know, s- sometimes you just need, like, a good old-fashioned, not great, not terrible, just, like, a decent, trashy B-movie to put on, you know? And this really fits the bill for me. Uh, but that opening is, uh, I don't know. I, I can't really, like, put into context why it doesn't work for me. Uh, maybe because it's, like, it doesn't, like, yeah. It, w- when it's Christian Bale's character as a kid, it doesn't, like, set up anything. It's just, like, here's the first dragon. I, I like the idea that uh, his character was there when it when the first one came out. So, like, it's so cathartic when he's facing it down in the finale. And, uh, Richard, what what do you think about that opening? It is pretty bleak. I think... What's interesting is that I feel like when it came out in 2002, I feel like it was entirely uncharacteristic of the era. But I also, I feel like now, uh, like with a, if a movie opened like that, I feel like we wouldn't be, you know, as shocked. I think because of like the the immediacy of being like post 9-11 when, it was, when this was released, I think that, like, the dourness probably did have something to do with uh, how it was perceived. But now I feel like as often as, you know, 9-11 imagery is used in blockbusters, I don't think it would be, you know, as dour, partially, I think, because we're more removed from it. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, that's a good way of putting it. Um, but what I really love about this movie, like, it's immediately op- in the opening is that, like, a when Christian Bale's giving this voiceover, like, his pre-grizzled Batman voice, <laughs> and uh, he he's he's showing, uh, like, these depictions of how, like, the world couldn't respond to this uh, with other, anything other than violence, and then, like, that escalation caused, like, things to go so bad even faster. Like, that's such a great kaiju movie idea. You know how, like, every Godzilla movie is kind of, like, even from everything like King Kong to War of the Gargantuas, which Gene and I talked about last time. Go ahead and check out that episode. That idea really struck a chord with me. I don't know if it follows through all the way through in a meaningful way, but it's yeah. a great idea, and I really liked it. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, that uh, that opening sequence, as, a, you show, as it shows how it keeps escalating and escalating, is, uh, you know, very... Uh, it seemed kind of... Uh, oh, it's like, you know, that's how things would probably go in the uh, mid-2000s, you know? In terms of military response, just nuke it. I also love the fact that uh, it ties dinosaurs in there. Whenever a kaiju <laughs> movie can also tie dinosaurs in there, it wins my heart. Yeah, I like Liza. He just kind of like, it's never really like, he just knows that, you know? He just kind of like, yeah. oh yeah, they uh, they, were, they killed the dinosaurs. It's like, how'd you find yeah, that Yeah, it's out? just like a casual, yeah. Nice little one. But no, that's cool. I mean, yeah. I mean, he'll, he, find, he found that out somewhere, I guess. <laughs> like, I, I guess they're, like, scientists just figure that out or whatever. But, but either way, it's like, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to rag on the whole thing too much because I, I do really enjoy this movie for all of its, like, faults. Um, but I think it's also because, like, it feels so small. Like, literally because it's just, like, the first dragon appearing, his mom dies, and then, like, we call we cut to this like epic credit sequence where it feels very abrupt. Whereas like Q, there's something about like aloof nature to it, where um, it made it flow a lot better to me. This one's like boom, serious, boom, serious. Well, I don't boom, know. Serious. I would disagree. I feel like you know I didn't mind that it was closed off to like one kind of location. That was the castle, because it made it feel like more intimate. I mean, 
again, you know, they they probably did not have the money to make it as epic as it was uh, envisioned. But, you know, I kind of like it that, you know, they're just kind of stuck at this castle. You know, I, you know, uh, ironically, as they face dragons and they're all just kind of holding up in there and it's showing how they're uh, surviving. Oh, no, no, no. That I, lo- that I loved. Like, I just didn't like the defined nature of that opening. Like, literally just the first scene. I, I like the castle thing because it's like this weird, uh, like, knights and castles, like, and fantasy dragon stuff. But, like, all this familiar imagery repurposed for, like, a post-apocalyptic setting. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's Definitely. like a like a Mad Max meets like <laughs> Arthurian legend or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, it's totally Mad Max. Yeah, it's totally inspired by Mad Max, the Road Warrior. I, that is so great. I hope George Miller gets to make his next Mad Max movie, and then he adds dragons into <laughs> it now. Like, oh god, that'd be great. Would it make sense? No, but whatever. I, he's awesome, and we don't nearly have enough George Miller movies, so. I'll take it. Okay, but there's one thing we have to talk about really quick. And then keep talking about it. Because this is something that never gets discussed enough. Matthew fucking McConaughey in this movie. <laughs> oh, it took me like a, a second to realize that was him. He is a... Uh, with that like bald He's head. next level in this. Yeah, he plays, uh, he plays a character named Van Zan, Denton Van Zan, Uh And he's... Cut and ripped, and like he carries a big battle axe, and he's just smoking cigars, and just all American hero right there, man. That's right. And he leads a group of uh, soldiers, American soldiers called the Kentucky Irregulars, which uh, and this is a lot. It feels <laughs> like they walked in from like a, a totally different movie, but right, yeah, that's <laughs> sort of like tonal dissonance really worked for me by that point. As opposed to like the dead face seriousness of the rest of it. Yeah, they were. Um, they kind of seem like they just you know stumble in, literally like stumble into the movie. But I mean, uh, and uh, again, it being like a British movie, it's like it's worse than Dragons, Americans. That was a, that was that was a bit funny, but uh, yeah, I mean, they're. Uh, I, I don't know. I like their presence in the movie, even though they uh, sh- you know show up pretty unexpectedly. Yeah, I think they. I think they add something to it. They take away some of the yeah the self seriousness. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they they do uh they do add a lot of flavor to the movie. I'm not sure what sort of like flavor I guess, but uh yeah, I thought it was uh you know appreciated watching it. I kind of wish that uh not the setting had changed, but uh maybe like the outfits they wore or something just to add like more color into the movie at that point, just to, like really up that like uh that shift that tonal shift that paradigm yeah. when they show up uh, you could you could like set up this juxtaposition between the survivors and like that are stone faced and covered in ash all the time and these guys like relish the fight you know i wish there was more like oomph to that side of the story in the narrative but uh but i love them i love these guys they're 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 like Michael Bay. Michael oh, Bay yeah. would have killed it <laughs> if he had directed this movie yeah. and he would have just like made those guys like he would have given them all these hero okay. shots and, like, the camera would be, like, continuously panning around mm-hmm. them. And, They'd be, oh, like, man, fist pumping in debris. That would blow minds. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it would have ended with a fist pump at the end. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I, I, w- I would say, uh, also, just going back, like, this movie, 
is just like so like two thousandsy in terms of like cinematography and like just uh the costume design and everything. Yeah. It, you know, all it needed is. Mm, oh, sorry. No, yeah, I was just saying like I I agree with that. It it does have a very early two thousands look to it. Like just that like the palette and tone and then like probably the trailer was cut to like some like uh really like electronic like beat or something you know oh, okay uh you guys remember when like dvds were coming out like hard right, in the early 2000s and fox would like these epic trailers where it's like <laughs> flashing images <laughs> prepare for fox dvd and you'd be like whoa whoa what's whoa i want to buy that right. movie i don't All know the- what it is but you can't differentiate yeah. it because they all look the same. All the uh, all, all the trailers of that era remind me of like that PSA, and it's a meme now where uh, it's like you wouldn't steal. Oh yeah. Like, you wouldn't steal a car, and that that music yeah. playing in the background and the way it was cut that was like every two thousands trailer. Yeah, I watched the the trailer mm-hmm. for uh, the first X Men movie a few days ago. Oh god. And man, <laughs> like that is exactly like what you're talking about. It is just like. Yes. The editing of that trailer is just wow. <laughs> it was uh yeah, it's a lost art form now. No one does that. <laughs> lost to you know, lost to time. And uh, I think something like a like a Deadpool or something could pull it off and make it like hilarious, you know? Yeah. But I think there's a reason why it stopped. We kind of strayed yeah. away from that. <laughs> I think there's a reason why this movie doesn't <laughs> no, make its money back. <laughs> uh, I actually haven't seen the trailer, but. I set these episodes to trailers, and I'll put them in the discussion. So I'm very interested to see what this looks like, how they sold this movie to the world, you know? What's interesting about this is that um, Buena Vista, which was owned by Disney, made this movie. And Disney is usually, like, so great at, you know, marketing and putting their their movies together. Uh, So just, I don't know who dropped the ball with this one, but (laughs) someone did. (laughs) Right. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Whoever was, you know, Buena Vista was outsourcing for trailers at the time was, uh, I guess they just got fired. Are you guys familiar with the director? Oh, his name is yeah, Rob I was, uh, Bowman. I was looking at him up, him up, and I was like, oh, the director of Electra and X Files. Yeah, did this. <laughs> yeah, I knew him from uh, Electra. This is way better than Electra. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Oh, yeah, it's way better than Electra. Well, hey, at least he has, like, X-Files, the movie, under his belt, right? Oh, he did the first X-Files? Oh, that one's great. Yeah. He was also the producer on the show, too. Oh, was he? Oh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's doing reasonably well, making, getting all those, like, checks from X-Files. Is he still a producer on X-Files? Because, uh, if so, I have some choice words for him. (laughs) No, he didn't do the, the reboot or the sequel series. Okay, I have uh, I got beef with uh, with that, and I got to talk to someone about it. But whatever, this isn't the place for it. I'm sorry, Scully. <laughs> yeah, well, she's oh, she's you know leaving, what? so she's okay, dude. Yeah, no, but I, I don't want to get into it. So spoilers for another thing entirely. Okay, so Kristen Bale, he would become Batman three years after this movie. Uh, he would get super awesome ripped and. Here he is not, but he doesn't need to be for, for this role. Uh, I think this is technically I would have seen Christian Bale in also back in the day, and I remember liking him in this. And I think, you know, given the material, he's not 
that he's allowed to work with that much, but he he adds a lot of energy yeah. to it. This is no. the same year that uh, Equilibrium came out as well. Oh, was it? Okay. I wonder, uh, does anyone know like what movie uh, Nolan saw Christian Bale in that got him back? I, I think, hope, yeah. I think it was... Uh-huh. Um, American Psycho? Yeah, I think it was American Psycho. And I know The Machinist came out before because he had lost all that weight before I would yeah. walk up for Batman. Oh, man, yeah. He, he he goes for those a lot. Like like that can't be healthy for him. It's uh it's very unhealthy. Yeah. Oh, and then he had to drop out of uh, the Michael Mann Ferrari pick because he couldn't. Uh, his doctor told him not to put on more weight. I, I guess he, uh, it was too much of a toll on his body. Well, he had put some on for because he's playing Dick Cheney in a movie that comes out later this year. He's quality in this. I think Bale even in movies that. Because I don't think this is a bad movie. No, I, I really enjoyed it, actually. This was my favorite of the two. Yeah. I would say, because, um, you know, it was... it was I, I really appreciated, like, all the, uh, you know, post-apocalyptic nature of it. And, like, you know, the survivors and just kind of uh, all the hodgepodge of, like, ta- like, military stuff they had. And, like, kind of, like, Road Warrior-esque weaponry. But uh, yeah, it reminded me of like, like a kind of reminded me of like a sci-fi channel movie in a good way. Like maybe some movies I've worked on. I don't know if I should. Uh, oh, totally. Yeah, he totally feels like that, that. I should name drop in a live recording, but um, to be polite. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you could totally see like, well, it's like the director. It's like, oh, we can't afford this shot, so we're just gonna like cut away to just them reacting for the entirety of this scene and then we'll have like one or two times that you know you see the dragon because we could afford those shots and uh, how economical it was it was very uh i don't know it was it made it an interesting uh viewing experience being you know around the same uh excuse me around the same like behind the scenes that that kind of budget crutch would uh would ensure that type of uh coverage and everything so uh yeah, I don't know. I probably, uh, you know, felt maybe, uh, yeah, a little kinship around it. Yeah, the the dragons are definitely dated, but I mean, like for the time, I guess. Like, I guess I, guess I could imagine being like, like I don't remember if they wowed me or anything, because like, I think when you're like younger, everything. like that, right. kind of everything, just like, whoa, movies are cool, you know, like everything on the screen. But no, th- th- this one does have some um, a charm to it, even when it's excessively like dour and everything is like very dark. And, uh, and muted. Uh, it is not Fury Road by any means no, in terms of which like, is in- quality they, or cinematography. But, I was uh, just going to say, it's interesting because the cinematographer also did Aliens. Um, yeah, he did... Uh, <clears throat> yeah, he worked with James Cameron on Aliens, and then he did um, Ron Howard's Willow. Um, and, like, those look those look completely different from, yeah. from this movie. Um, and then his last, um, I think he died in like 2005, but, uh, his last project was V for Vendetta and even that looks significantly different from this. So this is kind of, I think an outlier in his cinematography. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a dour looking movie, but I don't think it looks like poorly, it's not poorly shot. It's not unintentionally ugly. And even then there's this one image in this movie that I'll never forget that is so freaking amazing to me. Uh, when they're finally heading down uh, to the final confrontation and they're like, oh, the dragons, they can't, like, eat anything because they've destroyed everything. And uh, the big the, uh, head honcho of the dragons 
swoops up and like all these little baby dragons like flying away and like they're silhouetted against the sunlight and the, the minimal sunlight and it just looks like amazing. The CG is a little uh, dated for sure, but uh, the visual idea of them like flying through the, the rays of sunlight like that, I'm still just like stunned at that shot. Like what you could do with like today's effects or something like that. Someone do that. Someone replicate that shot in like an entirely different movie just for me because I would go head over heels for that. I, I would be in heaven for that. I was. Can we talk about the? Uh, I don't know if we could briefly touch on the CGI, but I, you know the dragons do look dated, but I think they were used appropriately enough. Going back to that, but I don't know if you guys noticed this, but like the, the only like one CGI shot is kind of like. It feels like all the compositing of, like, human characters, like, in environments. So, like, you know, the skydiving sequences, there's just something off about that. Like, I don't know what it is. It looks like just, like, someone didn't, like, keyframe it. Or the scene with, like, Matthew McConaughey and he's, like... Oh, yeah. And when he dies with the axe in his hand and he's jumping, like, just something looks odd. Like... yeah, like it's not like dare like in Daredevil where it's like he's making like fifty foot jumps or something, and it looks so bad. Or uh, the scene in like Matrix Reloaded with like Neo, in the uh, Mister you know the Smith fight sequence, but there's something there is something odd about some of their compositing in this movie. I think the uh, the the Van Sand death scene is a. Uh... It's like shot against the green screen, so I think that's like something something simple like the distance from the green screen apparently can like have that effect oh, on your okay. eyes. Yeah, and then like how they transition to like the shot of the dragon carrying him away is like that should look amazing and awesome, but it's like it, it probably didn't have the budget for that, and I don't know if they like set it up correctly because it doesn't look good. <laughs> I hope I didn't sound like I was poo-pooing on this movie too much, but like uh, I, it holds a very special place in my my B movie heart, and more movies should have dragons in them for sure because dragons are fucking awesome. Yeah, I mean, like there's very few dragon films I could think of off the top of my head. <laughs> One of them's like Dungeons and Dragons, the movie. I don't know if I'll, I'll ever get and <laughs> get around talking about that one. No, no, got mm-hmm. no. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's uh, there's very few dragons now. Yeah, well, no Richard dragons. loves dragons because he suggested these two dragon kaiju movies. So, Richard, out of these two, which do you prefer, or is it kind of up in the air for you? It's kind of up in the air. I, I get, like, different pleasures from both of them. Uh, I don't know, I just, <laughs> I do love dragons, and I think they're both a good time. I think the contemporary, like, kitschy nature of Q... Um, it's just really entertaining, but I just like also, I love the kind of like gritty boldness of Reign of Fire, and I mean it's it's they're both B movies of different levels, I think, and I think that they represent like the different times very well. Um, and they're both like they're you know thirty years apart, but I think that both like show like Q showcases the early 80s and Reign of Fire showcases the early 2000s very well so I don't know they're kind of like these B-movie like cinematic artifacts that I think sometimes get lost in the conversation of giant monster movies because 
I mean, there are definitely some that are many that are uh, of a higher quality and have better practical effects or special effects. But I don't know. I, there's just like something endearing to me about both of these. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, Gene, would you say you agree? Are they up in the air for you or do you prefer one to the other? Uh, I would say I would prefer Reign of Fire over Q. I mean, not to just Q, but it's just kind of um, just sometimes just like, I don't know, 80s, like kind of, uh, not one say uh, like B movies are just kind of a little too like. A little too all like all over the place, I guess, for my uh for my viewing experience sometimes, just where it's like you know you, you see like all the can I would say like the canon film, kind of tropes of it, and it's just like you know stuff where it's like well we have to include, like a uh scene where it's like uh, we have to include like a nude scene or we have to include like a, you know like some sort of other like exploitative, thing, and I wouldn't say like it ruins the movie, but it's just kind of like. You know when I'm when I'm seeing like a like a monster movie, like I I would rather kind of be that have the whole thing focus on the monster and like around that or cute it felt like more trying to hit those check check marks of the day I guess. Uh, if that I makes get what sense. you're saying, yeah. I think I prefer Q, um, but Rain of Fire. Last time I logged it on Letterbox, I gave it two and a half stars, and I realized that's too low for it. And uh, yeah, it's too well. uh, I I I, I gotta bump well. that up when I when I put up this episode. Um, but yeah, no, they're both uh, a blast, and I I want to own like uh, a screen in LA just to like double feature of something like this because that would be awesome. Q and Rain of Fire back to back. Oh, dude, yeah, this is this is totally like this is totally the movie. If it was like if it was open right now, that the new Beverly would have. Somehow, screening. Yeah, you, you know, as a du- as a double feature, movies. where you wouldn't just pay for Q, you know, maybe they would. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that uh, Rain of Fire has a Blu-ray release. Oh, it doesn't. Does it? Does it not? No, it has oh. a UK Blu-ray release, but there's not oh. a North America one. Q has a really nice one that Scream Factory released a couple years ago. Oh, okay. They have a good transfer of that. Yeah, that one's really nice, um, but yeah. yeah, Rain of Fire, I'm still yeah. waiting on the Deluxe really 4K. Like, <laughs> like, I get why they don't spend money on movies like this to, like, re-release for high quality, but, like, God, I wish people could just throw money at stuff like this mm-hmm. now. Yeah, well, I feel it's, well, I feel like it does have an audience, like, it seems like I a cult totally film. I totally see, like, like, Dark City or something. fan base, but I don't think it's there yet. I could see it, though. Because like, okay. no one really talks about it anymore. Like, even in like cult circles, I as much as I wish they would, I don't really see discussions of it. So we got We got to put the word out. And starting with this episode, mm-hmm. Q and yeah. Rain of Fire, awesome dragon movies, <laughs> which there are not nearly enough of again. And I think that pretty much covers it for us today. So Richard, thank you so much for choosing these movies and for joining us to talk about them. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. This was great. Yeah, we'd love to have you on again. Uh, this show, any of the shows we do, uh, we're always happy to have you. Where can people find you? Um, I am on Twitter. It is at Richard L. Newby. Gene, thank you for, again for co-hosting with me. Where can people find you? You can find me on Gene9892 on Twitter. And you can find me at 
D-E-W-G-O Waffles on Twitter, uh, Waffle Press. Like, subscribe. If you didn't like, like, subscribe anyways because you might find something you do like. Check out the Patreon, SoundCloud, iTunes, all stuff over there where you could listen to our podcast on the go if you don't want to listen slash watch on YouTube. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional. We found out where they started. We're going to London. This summer. Vertical one up. The plan is set. 1,600 yards, closing fast. The arsenal has been assembled. Get ready to rock and roll. Three chambers! And they've got one chance to take back their world. Matthew McConaughey, Christian Bale. Reign of Fire.